Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, we're talking about the Oscars Moon Knight hits Disney Plus and director Ty West joins the show to talk about X. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 207 of Real Blend, a podcast that loves Bruce Willis and wants nothing but the best for him and his loved ones. My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing editor of Cinema Blend. And on this week's show, we're going to talk about the Oscars. Uh, Moon Knight hits Disney Plus, and we are joined by a very special guest, Law Sharma, from our site, uh, who has a Moon Knight analysis uh, series. And director Ty West is going to join us to talk about his new movie, X Gonna Give It To You. Is that the name of that movie? Just X, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> X yeah. Gonna Give It To You? Yeah, I think that's what it's called. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a DMX homage. <laughs> it's Kevin McCarthy from Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. I knew Kevin would at least back me up on on a little DMX oh, humor. Well, dude, an X gonna give it to you. A needle drop happened in Deadpool, man. It's one of the best needle drops ever, man. It is terrific. Love that. But I knew Jake Hamilton might not quite get it because not exactly country western. <laughs> I understand that. No, it's more just me being upset because I dropped a great one like two minutes ago that wasn't right. good enough for this show. I mean, and it was okay. You're okay. <laughs> I am okay. Thanks for noticing. Uh, housekeeping, if you're watching us on YouTube. Oh, I want to mention Gabe Kovach is here joining us as well, too. Hi, Gabe. <laughs> Your oh, introductions you, for Gabe have sucked lately. Listen, I don't beef. have an excuse for that. We've got this <laughs> underlying beef that we haven't I told anybody. Have, we haven't shared true. publicly. Yeah, dates all the way back to our time at South by where we saw <laughs> X for the true. very first time, by the way. Oh, uh, so if you're watching good. us on YouTube, thank you very much for joining us. Please head down and give us a like and a subscribe. Join us here every single week to get the uh, video component of the Real Blend podcast uh, met. For all you audio listeners, if you want to join us in video form, head to youtube.com backslash Real Blend podcast. I think we're approaching 7,200 subscribers, uh, which is really, really nice. And a lot of great comments last week from people who said that, like, their Friday morning is reserved for watching the new episode of Real Blend, which I find to be really, really exciting. Oh, that's nice. It is nice. I like to hear that. Uh, it was good to smile. be. It was good to be missed. We missed a couple weeks, and people were like, "Oh my gosh, it's glad to have you back." That's always nice. In, in addition to, we dropped an hour long episode of the premium, 
Uh, yes. And a lot of people were very appreciative of that one too. played a very fun game, which has become a bit of a staple on the pre- premium show, which is what year is it? Uh, and if you haven't heard that yet, you should probably figure out how to uh, join the premiums every single Monday. And in order to do that, and then also to get an ad free version of the show and a newsletter uh, that is written by myself, uh, you can check out the description down below for information on where you can sign up for Roblox premium. Cause it's a lot of fun. That one, uh, that one's a little free flowing and off the rails. But on this show, this show in particular, we like to stay focused. We like to stay on track and we like to start the show with an interview with a filmmaker who we appreciate. No, it's true, Jakey. I'm telling you, this is normally what we like to do. And this week in particular, we have uh, Ty West. Ty West brought the film X to the South by Southwest Film Festival, as Gabe and I mentioned. Then it started playing in limited release or wide. Did X go wide? Anyone know? I think so. Now you I live in Chicago. Everything's here. Yeah, oh, wow. I know. Fancy. Mr. Fancy. Oh, but you know what? I'll tell you what. I know people who saw it here in Charlotte, which means if it's here, it went, it <laughs> there you it go. went pretty <laughs> wide. Uh, and then there's a tease. So, Jakey, when you saw it, did you get the tease for Pearl at the end of it? No, no. They didn't show that? Oh, interesting. I, no, not that I'm aware of. Okay. Wait, you mean the director didn't come out after your screening and then say thank you for watching? Here's a special gift. Oh, that was just Sean and I. Was just no, us. because that because was I oh, I don't sit for directors to come out and speak to mass audiences. I speak directly okay. to the director. This guy. Can we get to the interview, Sean? I'm over. Yeah, this where I'm speaking directly to the to the director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ty West breaks down his approach to the film uh, X, which is about filmmaking, a film about filmmaking, and it's also a love letter to to filmmaking, and also specifically sort of that '60s '70s uh, hillbilly horror is a genre that i like to refer to and then he talks about pearl which is a movie that he's gonna be turning out uh, because of the work that he did on x so enough about me talking about x let's die west talking about x uh, our guest on this week's episode of real blend so we have to start with your opening shot um because from the initial frame it's very clear that we're in for something really special uh with the organic way that you create the uh the vintage aspect ratio and then you know take us through the door and essentially onto the the scene the crime scene so i just want to get some uh, ideas about the inspiration for starting that way but also just the, the the way that you came up with how you were going to create it on set that day okay so that shot in particular is it's not that interesting of a story but it's somewhat of an interesting story for let's say this podcast um I want, first of all, the movie to me was really about like a celebration of like the craft of cinema, which is why it's a movie about people making a movie is to sort of endear you to what it's like to make a movie. And then hopefully that would sort of uh, give you a primer to, to, to be aware of some of the things I was doing in the movie. Um, the movie obviously deals with two aspect ratios throughout the whole movie in general. Um, so I wanted to sort of set the tone with that. Um, but I had been struggling to figure out what the first shot of the movie was for a really long time. Like, because I knew it needed to be a shot that really, like, set up the movie in an interesting way, revealed things in an interesting way, and spoke to, like, the craft of cinema in a, in, a, in a way, which is, like, you know, easier said than done. So it wasn't until that morning, like, I couldn't quite crack it. And I got there early that morning and was trying to figure it out. And then it, it just finally dawned on me, that shot. And I remember very specifically because Elliot Rocket, the DP, when he showed up, I was like, I finally figured out you know what i want to do here and i was like we're going to do this and we're going to do this and it's going to push in and it's going to seem like the aspect ratio changed and it's funny because i remember him being like okay cool and then we set it up and we did it and he had no way i've been struggling to figure out what the first shot of the movie was and he turned to me and he was just like this is a really good shot yeah. this is, <laughs> like you did and so um <laughs> yeah and so 
yeah, it was just in one of those things that was like, how do you in one shot tell a lot about the movie? And, and that's what we came up with. That's so that's, hard. That's it's hard to do. Well, kind of an extension of that, because because this is a celebration uh, of the craft of filmmaking. There's a character in this film who it's very important for him to emphasize and stress to people that you can make a good pornographic film. Like he's taking it very seriously. Like while he's making a porno, he's taking the shots and the cinematography and the sound. Like it's very important to him. And I feel like that's kind of reflective like of of how like Toby Hooper approached Texas Chainsaw Massacre at a time where maybe people weren't giving the horror genre the respect it deserved. I'm sort of curious, do you sort of still find that that effort of like a, like filmmakers approaching the horror genre with that same kind of mentality of like, look, you can make these things great and they can be really great pieces of work and don't just write them off because of your preconceived notions. Um, that's certainly true. Um, and I think that's a, a, a somewhat, it's a very reasonable conclusion to jump to just by the nature of the genre and maybe even myself doing such a thing. Um, I always thought of it a little bit more as like, that's not lost on me, but I always just thought of it as like, anything that anyone's trying to do, like they should be aiming for the ceiling, like farmer's daughter, the movie that RJ's making, maybe it can only be so good, but he's still trying to make it that good because to not make it that good and to phone it in would be to make a movie about people. I'm not that interested in because they're not really trying and that's not very compelling. And I'm very charmed by people who are trying really hard to do something. Even if the thing that they're doing seems a bit ridiculous the more they're trying to do it well, yes, it's funny. Yes, some of his like comments and some of his like, you know, goals in the movie are a bit absurd because you have the context to say like, hey man, you're not really making fun. But like, it's the start for him. So um, to me, it was really just about anything, but it's of course not lost on me that the horror genre is sort of known as something that like you can find art within something like this. Mm -hmm. uh, to that end, this film is... Um just literally a throwback to what what I lovingly call this hillbilly horror genre, essentially, that was prevalent in in the 70s when, when the story is set. Um, but there's a huge difference between the way that everything plays out in X versus um, a modern film that's that's like a winking homage to those types of films. Um, can you talk about sort of walking the line between those two? And, and what you created is something that I literally feel like exists on a VHS tape somewhere. And I just had never found it before on on the shelf at a video store. And I took it off and put it in and it was made then, you know, versus something that's like, we're going to do it this different way because that's how they did it in those days. Uh, this more seems like a, a truly loving recreation. Yeah, I mean, that's the way I approached it. I, my taste is is not I mean, certainly the movie has a self-referential aspect to it, but it but it only and, and, a, and a horror movie referential aspect to it. But it's only because the people in the movie are making a movie. So like all of those sort of like somewhat meta -y references are kind of like birthed out of the fact that these characters are talking about the thing they're doing. And it just happens to reflect the other thing versus me commenting on it you know and so i think just my taste is like a little less winky in general so mm. to me i always felt like if we're gonna make this movie and said in 1979 like you should just feel like it's real you shouldn't necessarily feel like it's a um a kitsch recreation i mean it was the same thing on house of the devil it was really about being like this is not the video killed the radio star 80s where everybody has brand new everything it, this is the real 80s where you still have furniture from the 70s. And so I, I looked at X the same way and that it was just meant to be like I wanted you to, you know, take the movie seriously. And it wasn't like a, a sketch comedy thing or something. Yeah, true. So I, I wish I could 
show you the moment that because uh, the second I got out of the film, I started texting with Sean uh, about the film, but we just started going back and forth about how much we loved it. And the moment he texted me, he said, you realize Mia played two characters <laughs> and I just paused doing what I was doing. And I think I may have literally even said, like, are you fucking kidding? Like it and it made me see the movie compl- like just go back over the entire movie differently. I'm sort of curious how much. Does the fact that she plays both Maxine and Pearl, how much should that affect what we get out of it and how we look back on the film when we find that fact out? Well, it's somewhat subjective on how people want to, I guess, deal with it. But um, it was always the idea was to have the goal, at least, to have the same actor play the same person. Because I always thought of it as different characters, but kind of the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, credit completely to Mia making it, that pulling it off because it's no easy feat. And then, you know, Weta, of course, doing an amazing job with prosthetics, but it's been really amusing and sort of satisfying to, to see when people realize it um, because we've been trying to be like, we're not trying to keep it a huge secret. It even says it in the end credits, but I'm not advertising it. Sure. And it's interesting to see if people catch it along the way or if they catch it at the end credits, or in your case, they catch it when somebody says it. Um, it is most commonly someone saying it to them. And then second most common is in the end credits. And then very rarely someone during the movie is like, I had a suspicion and I caught it. But um, you don't want people to know going in. It would be, it's for you, like ideal scenario is you find out at I least I, in yeah, the middle of the movie. Ideal scenario, I don't think that it necessarily kills the movie, but I think it would. it's better. It's your reaction is very satisfying to me. Like okay. the reaction that you had when you had to stop and be like, hold, that's cool. You know? And so if you don't know that beforehand, then you preserve that having that reaction about a movie. And it's not very often that you get to have that kind of reaction about a movie. So if I'm trying to bring something to the table, I'm trying to, you know, bring the moment that you got a text and went, Oh my God, that's satisfying to me. It was yeah, a great moment. It's not a, it's not a spoiler, you know, in any way, shape or form. Um, and it's not, if you know it going into it, it's almost even cooler just to sort of pay attention to the practical ways that you do it. Yeah. Um, you told us at South by, and that's the first time I knew you came out on stage and you're like, by the way, I want to tell you something. And then like two days later, I want to say we got the press release about the prequel, you know? And I was like, no, don't, don't, don't announce the prequel now. Cause it's sort of given the, letting the cat out of the bag, but, um, but still, I'm glad people are being able to experience it, uh, the way that they are. I want to drill a little bit deeper into the idea of, um, the motivations of your killers, which are completely unique, uh, to this film and fly in the face of, of what traditional horror franchises normally do, which is the fact that, you know, a Jason Voorhees or his mom is upset by the fact that the people around them are having sex. And you go in the opposite direction. Uh, what sort of inspired that? Was it supposed to be just a, a direct response to how sex is often treated in horror films? It, no, it's not so much a direct response as much as you're trying to find a new way to tell a story. You know, I mean, like stories like this have been told a million times. So you're trying to find a fresh take on it. Um, mm-hmm. When I was thinking of what the villains, quote unquote, villains in the movie would be, um, I wanted them to be like humans. And so to me, like I didn't really want to make a movie about sort of like um, prudish, vengeful people necessarily. I thought it was more interesting to be like telling a story about like more resentful people. Um, I also think that like a theme in the movie and in life is sort of like, you know, everybody wants what they can't have. And everybody has an idea that if I just get this, this, and this, when I get there, I'll be happy. And then when you talk to that person who's there, they're like, if I could just go back in time, you know, that just seemed like an interesting way into this story. Um, but no, I mean, it's not, you know, 
yes, I'm aware of the tropes in horror movies. And yes, I'm aware this is being something different, but it wasn't like I was out there on set every day being like, this is what we're doing here, guys. Like it, it was not, it was just sort of like, oh, I think that this is an interesting angle for these characters. And then we're just going to see it through. And then of course, you know, I've been Pearl, which is a, like a relatively informative, you know, uh, backstory as well. You know, this movie is also such a really interesting look uh, in terms of what it means to to get older in life, because I feel like everyone's the hero of their own story. Everyone grows up talking about what it would be like to be like, you know, the final girl of a horror movie. But no one ever puts themselves in the shoes of, of the villain. And what I liked about this movie is that, like, we're all we all grow up afraid of the scary old person in the dark house. But this movie studies this idea that, like, eventually some of us grow up and become the scary old person in the old house. And I'm sort of curious as to how your own movie has made you maybe look back on other horror films differently or even even other villains differently because like it, it humanized them in a really interesting way in the sense that like that could be me in 80 years i don't know i don't know yeah i mean i always it doesn't i have not had a profound moment where i've looked back on anything movie wise and had a new perspective on it but in writing the movie and thinking of the idea for the movie like it is an existential issue that every single human is going to face in some capacity and so you know i'm 41 i'm not that old but there's certain things i used to be able to do better than i can do now and it's like sometimes <laughs> bummer when you come to that conclusion so you know in the absurdity that is this horror movie if you walk those ideas out then sometimes you come up with some i hope interesting things but um but yeah i think everybody you know we all have a limited time here and there's certain things that are let's say more reserved for the young I'm going to ask you another technical question, if I could, more so just a how the hell did you pull that off? One of the most satisfying shots uh, in the film is the gator chasing after the girl as she's swimming oh. through the lake. Uh, it's a tremendous bird's eye shot. Uh, such a beautiful. Uh, is it simply just a crane placed from above? And, and why did you choose to sort of shoot it from that angle? Uh, it was a drone, actually, because it was about 60. Feet up. So to get high enough up over the water, we need to use a drone. Um, I don't know why other than that's just how I saw it in my head. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I mean, I could give you a reason of like, well, here's what it's going to do stylistically. But the reality is when I think of movies and when I think of a movie I'm making, I sort of can see the movie in my head. And then I'm just trying to cobble those shots together and hopefully that they play out the way that I see it. So, um, but it was certainly a hassle. I mean, it's a drone very high up in the air. It is a human being swimming in the water. It is a practical alligator that is like you know animatronic is a little too kind of a word but that that's the kind of idea of like dragging that towing it behind keeping a certain distance um i don't know i just always thought like this is the way i should shoot this and then that's how we did it and i'm really afraid to love it do you storyboard stuff out at all i don't usually storyboard because i generally operate the camera um mm -hmm. on this movie i did not operate as much as i normally do um but because it was an ensemble and sort of there's just a lot to pay attention to. So it was really beneficial to have a camera operator. And we had a really terrific camera operator. Um, but I make these like color coded shot lists. I don't use them as much as I used to. They just kind of sit in my back pocket and they very rarely come out anymore. But I make them the night before and it helps me pre visualize it. And they're color coded because it's based on setups and things like that and which way the light is and things like that. And it helps me like visualize all of the shots, how they go together, what I'm going to need and what equipment I will need to do them. So that way in the morning, if I'm ever like things are going wrong, I can look at that and go, we don't need this. We just need this. But generally I don't look at the shot list. It's just the process of making them sorts everything out for me. And then the next day I know what we're doing. Cause I spent the night before like figuring it out. Wow. 
Um, you know, I've, I've read a lot about uh, all the, the problems and the, and, the, and the craziness and the limitations that uh, Toby Hooper had to endure on the set of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like to the point where like they were they were using real animal carcasses and, and the set was and then everyone on set was getting sick and, and vomiting and stuff like that. And but then you look at all those problems that he had to endure and all the limitations and that he had no budget and you go. But look at what came out of it. Look at the masterpiece. I'm sort of curious what limitations you may have had uh, that, that yielded a greatness on, on screen. Um, you know, it certainly was not as sort of grueling as a production as, as Texas Chainsaw because we just like had a bigger, like it was just more together and more organized. It was le less independent, I suppose. Um, I can't think of anything that was sort of like a disaster turned into a miracle. Of course, mm -hmm. that happens. I'm sure there is one of those situations in there. Um, but you know, there's never enough time and there's never enough money and you never, you're always compromising from the moment you get there. And it's those compromises that force you to be creative. Um, like for instance, maybe because we didn't have a lot of time in that pond to shoot that I had to really think of like, what are the most evocative shots to tell the story with in the most effective way? Cause I don't have time or the resources to like, we're going to get a boat out there and we're going to do all these really complicated things. It's more like, I have to be economical with what I have, but I have to like aesthetically make up for that. I think that certainly the movie is uh, a laundry list of those things and that that very well could be one of them. Um, but I don't think there was anything that I can remember at the moment where like catastrophe struck and it made something uh, much better because of it. If, it. if it, I mean, like I said, in the beginning of this conversation, like the very first shot, I mean, I could not figure that out until like we were there, the people were eating breakfast and I was like, ah, okay, I know what we're going to do today, you know? And so um, that was good timing on that, but, you know, <laughs> but, but, but if, if limitation and like time constraints resulted in the, sh the shot with the alligator, like worth it. Like that's, I mean, that's, 100%. that was seriously, that's incredible. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, that's, you always end up being creative because of limitations. And so there's no sense in bemoaning your limitations. It's just sort of, you know, find a way to aesthetically step up your game, I guess. For sure. That's part of the process, for sure. Um, the irony of a film called X uh, and being set at a time when filmmakers like the one that's featured in your in your film are taking advantage of porno and having the rating. Um, I just kind of wonder what your conversations were, uh, if any, with the MPAA and, and any sort of things you might have had to remove from this uh, to get the rating that you needed in order to get out into theaters. We didn't change a single frame. Really? Really? Yeah. They saw the cut of the movie and they said, this is a hard R and off we went. And so Were you surprised um, a little bit. They, the NBA has always been pretty fair with me, um, mostly because I think I don't know. I can't speak for them and I've never really had any long conversations with them. I think it sort of depends on the context and certainly right. X is a very gruesome movie at times, but there's also like a, it's not a very nihilistic movie. And most of the most gruesome stuff is in some sort of stylistic driven purpose or almost comedic purpose at times. Um, I think that they're, I think they're aware enough of that. You know what I mean? Like they're aware enough of like why this is in there. I think if they feel like there's no reason for it to be in there, they may come down harder on it. I don't know that I've never spoken to them, but I, I don't know. I've always had, cause there's some really gnarly stuff in the sacrament as well. And, um, they, uh, we were okay. So I think they, you got they, away with some great stuff in this movie. Then. Yeah. That's insane. There's yeah. some vicious and we've kills. heard horror stories from other directors of like, like we've had Quentin Tarantino on the show. Who's had to like put, he had to, well, how many times Sean did he have to put kill bill in there to get the, he had to make one of the sequences black and white. So like the Double stories that we hear, times. um, are it's, it's incredible. Um, 
I, I'd love to, without giving anything away, um, talk about Pearl, the um, the the prequel that's going to be happening. I'm sort of curious when in the creative process did you know you were going to do that, and then also like you know one of the there there is a danger of of over explaining a character and sort of revealing too much, and so in terms of a storyteller, what's the balance of like keeping the mystery behind this character versus letting us know more about who she is. Um, I knew we were going to make it. I wrote it um, when, we, when we shot the movie in New Zealand. So you had to do two weeks in mandatory quarantine before you could enter the country. So that's two weeks in a hotel room. Um, I wrote it during that time and me and I would sort of FaceTime and we always had this thing of like, let's hope that A24 will say okay to this movie. And if they don't, this is just a really fleshed out backstory for your character. Um, but I had two weeks in a room, so it's not like I would love to spend two weeks writing, but at the same time, there wasn't much else to do. And if I pulled it off, it was really promising. So we did that and we were very proud of the script. A24 dug the script and they said, okay. So I knew we were making it before we made X. Um, wow. So uh, when we were making X, there's a lot of things in X that are, that are sort of enriched by Pearl and vice versa. So there's certainly things that if you see X after seeing Pearl, you're like, oh, that's a thing, you know, and vice versa. Um, it, you know, it remains to be seen. You'll have to tell me what you think, I suppose, after Pearl, if you think I explained too much or not enough or things like that. I think that Pearl, and I'm being very cagey because I'm trying to keep, we kept the movie a secret for so long. I'm trying to keep what's going on in the movie a sure. secret for as long as I can, because in many ways, whatever people expect Pearl to be, it's not that. Um, I think that it's different enough, and I think that it's compelling enough in a completely different way that it's the right amount of, of what you'd want it to be. Do you know when we can expect the movie? Is it this year? I, you'll find out soon enough. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. I've only seen the bits of clips that you included in the trailer. It looks like you went for a different look completely for it. Did you? Yes, it's, shoot? Very, it's very different. Can you elaborate a little bit on what you're trying to get out of it? It, it looked almost like Technicolor, if, if, if that's that, the right. That is very much what it's like. Is I it mean, really? Yeah. The movie takes place in 1918. It's a completely different stylistic um movie you know I, i'll have more to say about it when we probably talk again when the movie comes out um okay. but yes it is a sort of uh technicolor is the right way to think about it oh wow good wow. all right well we want you wow. on real blend when when that movie comes yes. out please yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh can you talk about uh elaborate on uh jenna ortega who's establishing herself as um a, a major scream queen basically uh not just taking on sort of the drew barrymore role you know in the original scream but then we saw her in um and that Foo Fighters film, uh, Studio 666, that just came out, she had a really memorable part in that, too. And she's tremendous in this film, too. Uh, I love the fact that she takes that sort of role of the the uh, the outsider who's kind of looking in at the whole team and then decides to sort of join in with them. So what is she like as a collaborator? Oh, Jenna's amazing. I mean, there's no everyone keeps being like the year of Jenna Ortega. Jenna Ortega's taking over the world. And it's like, if you know Jenna, it's not. It's of course. You know what I mean? So um, I, I was not familiar with Jenna. She auditioned. She did an amazing audition. We had a Zoom conversation. She really got the script. She really dug the script. Um, I think to some degree, it was a role that she had not gotten to play before. I think she was surprised by what the movie was. I think the movie was a little bit outrageous and a little bit dangerous feeling for her. I think that was challenging and exciting for her. Um, but I mean, her technical ability um, is incredible. You know, like she's she's so on it, not just as an actor, but she's as a filmmaker. Like I'm, I have no doubt Jenna's gonna go off and direct a movie at some point and it's gonna be great because mm -hmm. she's very, very aware of the process of filmmaking in a, in, in a way that's really useful and very helpful because she knew what I was after. And she was like, I can get you there and still do my thing. Um, and it just made her a really 
great collaborator. And then she always surprises you performance wise because she's like, she's so nonchalant and then goes from like zero to to 60 instantly. And is just like, she's so impressive. That's awesome. Uh, there are so many different like vibes to this film. There are some uh, shots, there are some scene sequences that are incredibly sweet. You have the camaraderie between the entire ensemble. They had such a great chemistry together. You have some moments that are just unbelievably hilarious. I had a packed theater at my screening and people were dying laughing. And then obviously you've got just the insanely brutal death scenes, which is a horror film or were if a horror fan were fantastic. I'm sort of curious, does the vibe of whatever you're shooting that day dictate how you wake up in the morning, how you walk onto the set, what kind of mindset you're in. Do you have a, do you feel differently on a death scene than you do for just a a, a fun, sweet camaraderie kind of day? No, not, not emotionally based on what's happening in the movie. Um, This movie was very technically challenging. Um, It does not seem like it is, but it's, but it was. So whether you're doing a death scene, that's very complicated, especially if you're doing practical effects. It's a very tedious ongoing process that has a very narrow bullseye that you have to hit. And if you don't hit it, resetting and redoing it is, is hard. So any day you're shooting a death scene, you have to really be like sharp and prepared to do something very technical and communicate to a lot of people to all work together to do something that is like organic and not necessarily controllable. So that's stressful just because it's you know how important it is to the movie and you know how important it is to you personally. And it's hard to achieve. Um, the ensemble scenes were maybe a little bit easier and more fun to be on set for because it's sort of just acting and it's not quite as technical, but they were big scenes and they were big scenes that meant a lot to the movie. So you really needed to get them right and you needed the jokes to land and things like that. So you're kind of stressed about that. Um, sex scenes are quite very technical and, and sort of a something you I, I never looked forward to shooting them because it was always like everybody's always a little uncomfortable and we had a great industry coordinator and it's all good, but it's just like, you know, closed sets. It's just complicated. Um, so there's very rarely something that's like, ah, today is just a pleasantly easy day. Um, so I think what, what generally like affects my mood is more like how like zeroed in on something I need to be. And, and Destiny in particular, I think is, is hard because it's not something that the rest of the crew outside of you and the camera operator and the effects people have a sense of what's going on because you're there working with the tubes and the blood and the pressure and three, two, one, go, and things like that. Whereas like a, a grip or an electrician or whatever, a prosperous person isn't necessarily up in the mix on that. So they may be a step behind in, in knowing what's going on. So all that's just very challenging. And same way if you're doing a sex scene, for instance, it's a closed set. So no one even knows what you filmed in there outside of like five people. So then so, you right. need people to catch up with what you're doing because you need their help. So, this movie just even down to the post-production was just very technically like we were going for very specific things wow all right then we'll get you out of here on this time what uh what was the most then uh stepping back and looking at it uh satisfying or rewarding kill scene for you and did your cast fight about who got to be the victim of the alligator (laughs) no one thought about that um (laughs) the uh that was that was from day one based on the mural that we had made. So that was always going to be the way it was going to pan out. But um, okay. I think that the most rewarding one is probably the first one, um, mostly because it was a doozy to shoot and certainly a doozy to edit. And we got the song that I wanted and it was like a very specifically stylized thing. And uh, it was, it was technically challenging to do it. And I think that it, it worked out. And so I think that it's um it's probably the most satisfying one. Okay. Uh, Ty, we are so happy to have you join us on the show and we're sending everybody to X. So we really appreciate your time and uh, hopefully get you back as a guest when Pearl comes out. 
Yeah, that'd be great. I appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. Okay. Seriously, thank Thanks, you so much. Man. We want to thank Ty West for coming on the show and send everybody to go see X. Uh, it's a really, really smart horror film set in the 1970s, utilizing a lot of the tools and tone uh, of the 1970s. If you can go into it knowing as little as possible, uh, I would try to do that. Uh, Jake, you loved this. You said this was your, one of your favorite movies of the year so far. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't see a scenario where this isn't on my top 10 list at the wow. end of the year. Absolutely okay. loved it because it kind of threads the needle of being everything that I love about that certain era of yeah. horror, but mm-hmm. also being a lot of stuff that I feel like I've never seen before. Okay. Um, so just absolutely, absolutely loved it. As a, as a, as a big horror fan, I was beyond thrilled. Go out of your way to go see that in the theater. Um, and speaking of the theater, let's get to the Academy Awards ceremony, which honors the best of movies uh, that come to streaming, I guess. Streaming now won Best Picture <laughs> uh, for the first time and made history. Uh, Apple and so, won before Netflix. Oh, my God. A movie that was mixed for your iPhone. So you know how to watch it. With the number of things that we know behind the scenes about how hard streaming services, all the different streaming services fight to get best picture. Apple got it first. The fact that Apple got it first is hysterical to me. Well, yeah, Apple, Apple, Apple does crazy. have like two trillion dollars in cash. So, you know, the creators of Finch. <laughs> yes, true. <laughs> um, so by this point, by the time you guys are listening to it, it's Friday. And we saw, you know, certain tweets that everyone's like, oh, I can't wait to hear what the guys have to say about the way that the show went down. And, you know, there's not at this point now, there isn't a whole lot more we can add to that discourse. It's, you know, we all know that it was ridiculous that it happened, that it was crazy that it happened. It was really sad and really disappointing. And so, you know, what we want to really want to do at this time is 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 focus on the films and focus on the winners, uh, a lot of which were overshadowed by the, the headlines and the coverage that came out after the show, um, starting primarily with, uh, you know, our biggest winner, which this makes me ill, the throat of this. But Jake Hamilton uh, got a clean sweep of his predictions at the Oscars. He, not only did he win as he wins in years past, he dominated. Uh, Would you guys like an official score? Yeah, I guess. Give it to us, Gabe. So we we predict 20 categories every year. Um, mm-hmm. Jake got 20 out of 20. Heaven got 15 out of 20. Hey, way to go. And Sean was in dead last with 14 out of 20. Okay, I'm I'm one behind Kevin. That's not still dead dead last. last. Doesn't (laughs) matter if you lose by an inch or a mile. Losing's losing. Fine. Now we have to discuss. Are Jake? Do you have your Do you have your punishments prepared? I do. I do. Before you get there, I have Mm, a question. Wonderful. I have a question. (laughs) Maybe we Maybe we institute this this year. Maybe we institute this next year. Sean, in particular, as the person who lost the most, I'm curious your thoughts of this. So first place gets to, if for anyone, if you're new here, the wager, you win, you get to, your punishment is you get to make the other two, I would say do something, but it's usually it's watch a movie that they don't yeah. want to watch. So, um, yeah. Last year it was, if, I had to watch the return of the, uh, the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah. And Kevin had to watch the comparable amount of hours uh, for the like, I think it was like seven lost. hours yeah. of loss or something the year like before that. Before yeah. that was um, Human Centipede 3. The Human Centipede yeah. 3. I would yes. like to pitch an idea. What if... To make it a little bit more interesting, because Jake keeps winning. Um, <laughs> so the winner gets to decide for the other two. But what if the person in second place also gets to make a punishment for third place? Oh, I like, wait, that. I like that this. Is, I vote what? for this. I, get I, vote, I, vote, I vote for this. 
I mean, I'm, clearly, is. I'm not going to have any problems with that. I'm, 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 I'm right in the middle. I mean, like, sure. I, 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 I do feel it's unfair idea. to Sean now. Well, that's a, that, yeah, that's a fine idea, but we should implement it next year. Well, of course yeah. you would say that. Yeah, we could do it right now, though. I'm sure it's <laughs> true. I would love I, to come I, up with a punishment. I feel like the person who's won the last three years straight should be the deciding factor. Do we all agree we like that idea to give second yes. place a little bit? A little bit. Yeah. Fun? yeah. I mean, sure. I guess. All right, well, I, I got something I can give Sean. All right, let's hear it. Let's get to the punishments. Uh, Wait, do you want to do like a little like TV tease and like hold off on the punishment until we finish the discussion? Till the end of the segment? Well, no, so, no, see, okay, sorry, guys. I meant to, So we pre-recorded the punishments, and as the show unfolds, I'll drop them in at random, kind of cut down with just the basics so okay. that it's a joke. It's about the categories that we're... Oh, oh. Uh, it took me a second. I was like I'm really not understanding how not this was going to work on the show. It's <laughs> like, we should have these conversations. Because I was like, we're going to cut the show. it out and then put it in. No, let's... Um, Kevin, if you, do you have one prepared for Sean? Are we agreeing uh, that Sean has, to, has two punishments because he's dead? Uh, yeah, I can make one. I can get one ready in the next couple minutes as if Jake wants to go ahead and go ahead and give his punishments out. Jake, yep. Jake is prepared. Yeah, I'm prepared. Okay. Um, so my punishment is going to... Um, <laughs> Take you guys about six hours and oh my God. 15, 20 minutes or so. Why? Oh. Um, and it's, it's a little bit. Here's, Jake, here's has, what I'll say. Jake has made his own movie that he's going to yeah. make. <laughs> and it's me just staring into the camera talking about how great Finch is. No, I think of the three punishments I've done, this one is probably the least painful. But it's okay. a little bit in honor of, uh, of a great guest we had on the show today. You're going to watch all 17 episodes of the first season of Big Bang Theory. Which which at about 21 oh. minutes apiece will Where? take you a little over HBO Max. OK. okay. Oh, you, you're not. We okay. haven't announced that this guest is on the show. We well, can. It happened. Let's let them decide. And, and isn't there a part of you that like having a, okay. such a great conversation okay. with this person? Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. That person is not isn't in, in that one. season. <laughs> no. no, she's not. But if you fall in the if you fall in love with the show like I do, you'll be privy to if you and you continue past season one, you'll be privy to such great guests like James Earl Jones and Mark Hamill Mm. and 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 uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say neither of you are going to fall in love with the show, but I like it as a punishment. uh, Is this the one with um, Allison Hannigan and uh, Neil Patrick Harris? You deserved all the time in the the world. Is it? I met your mother. Is this, this is the one with Charlie Sheen and uh, <laughs> right, I, can't tell, I can't tell if you're doing a bit or not. He's doing a bit. He's doing a but, bit. but it's not funny. So I'm assuming you're trying to be. <laughs> anyway. OK, fine. <laughs> season one. Season one of Big Bang. It's, well, it's, 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 by. Uh, what are you doing tomorrow? December. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's 17 episodes at 20 minutes apiece. I promise oh. I will finish it. Kevin, Kevin is going to watch the eighth uh, Dunkirk for the eighth time. So <laughs> how many times have you watched Licorice Pizza? I watched it again last night, actually. See, that's what I'm saying. Um, you could be done, but you could be done with the entirety of Big Bang Theory by now. So funny. Hey, enough, if it's good enough for, for Quentin Tarantino, it's good enough for you guys. Oh, my God. No, she I was so happy to hear that. That was exciting. I've always wanted to see it, to be honest with you. Um, I do want to mention, um, I, I just recently sat down, I guess, for a certain, I guess, the same, a little bit longer than this and watched all three Godfather films, including Coda. Um, Godfather Coda, weirdly enough, on the day the Oscars gave Coda, Coda Best Picture. Coda is not a Godfather movie. 
It's its own little movie about sign language and family. Well, no, <laughs> but there is a, the, the, the the final cut of three is called Coda. Yes, um, you you, uh, you missed the uh, undertone that that family they were actually all mobsters. <laughs> I just want to tell people out there if you have a chance, they released this 4K version of all three films, and the 4K transfer is absurd. Um, and then I'll give Sean real quick. Sean, mine's gonna be easy because I I I want to hear your opinion updated Shit. on this. Shit, I want no. This is going to be oh. good. I want you to rewatch Bad Boys 2. Oh, that's easy. Okay, hey guys. Sure. I really I don't you... understand the idea of a punishment, but all right. It's your I choice. Love it. it's your I choice. love it. Yes. Well, well I thought my punishment was good. I'll gladly watch it I'm again. glad I don't have to watch yours. Yeah. Yes. The reason why it's not really a punishment, the reason why I'm doing this is because over the years, uh, you know, Sean and I disagreed about some of the famous action films. Like I prefer Die Hard 3. He prefers Die Hard 1. Right. Uh, and then he prefers Bad Boys 1 and I prefer Bad Boys 2. When was the last time you watched Bad Boys 2? In its entirety, it's been a long time. I, okay. I will skip through and watch certain scenes, but I have watch not sat down thing. and watched it from start to finish. OK, that's my punishment. I want I, I want to hear your revised thoughts on that film after okay. you complete a full viewing. Okay. After Fair you enough. complete a full viewing of season one of the right. Big Bang Theory. Jake first, then you can go to mine. I will take the Big Bang Theory for this reason. Michelle and I in the evenings uh, are currently going through Ozark and it is uh, really heavy. <laughs> that show is not pleasant. Uh, I like it. It's good. Um, but it is. We need something Brutal. lighter. We need something lighter. And so uh, maybe Big Bang Theory. Will be and I would like to, I want to say one quick thing. I would like to address that like many shows, it's still finding itself with season one. Like okay. like Jim Parsons hasn't quite figured out how he's playing Sheldon. Um, it, it just, so so just, you know, acknowledge the fact Shel- young Sheldon would have been worse. Well, that's next year. Yeah. Uh, Jake, you wanted to comment on the on the way that the show uh, handled the eight categories, the pre-recorded eight categories. And uh, I think we were all surprised when they appeared in the show, right? Because I was under the impression they weren't going to be part of the show at the all. The way they did. Well, yeah, I, I thought it was going to be part of the show. Here's what I'm going to say. I didn't think how they were put into the show was awful. Right. I really, I honestly really didn't. Um, what I will say is that if the show ended up being almost four hours anyway, what's the point? If the whole point of offending half of the industry and by mm. nature of offending one half, technically also offending the other half as well. And it and, and the point being so we can get the show under three hours. That was their big marker. So we can get the show under three hours. Mm-hmm. Show clocked in at three forty. Yeah. So you pissed off an entire industry You pissed off the 18 fans you have left of this show. And for what? For nothing. So I guess that's just my biggest point is that I I wasn't even I, I, I thought how they did it was fine, but it has to be a victory. It has to be it has to be spectacular. There's no wash here. So if 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 you and, and the only victory is is yielding a shorter show and you didn't do that. And so it just begs the question, what's the point? And you lost. I'll add this. I'll add this. The show in and of itself was not terrible. The show was probably it, as it honestly was not. Uh, it, I was kind of bored in the first hour. OK, but like in terms of how it's been in years past, where it's yeah. like offensively bad, right? Yeah. I was borderline entertained I with the speeches and with the wins and a lot of the really authentic things that were happening in terms of the categories and the way that like when Troy Kotzer won and the audience was was doing Amazing. the sign language. Incredible. All these really great moments. The comedic bits were terrible. 
The comedic bits yes. were flat out terrible. That thank you, Daenerys. I actually thought that they were really, really bad. Um, but the show in general was moving along. It was okay. So I was stunned that it was as long as it was. That was terrible. I, I thought Regina and Wanda and Amy were, were good hosts. I just okay. didn't think that the show was put together. Like, it was interesting. One, Jake, you say this sometimes when you watch like a longer film, like there's like a two and a half hour film. You go, there's a good 90 minute movie in there. Um, I, I kept thinking about the show from I, I took a step back and I was like, OK, on paper, they did a really interesting job of kind of juggling it where they were going to put what um, and there was like. Uh, it, they, they had really cool ideas of bringing back the Pulp Fiction cast and like, mm -hmm. you know, doing these old. But then you have stupid things like like Tony Hawk and and, yes. and Sean White introducing. Was that Bond? Was that the Bond, was, the Bond yeah. montage? Yeah. Like they couldn't get any of the the original like, Craig? like OK, I really thought the the surviving bonds were going to come up on stage. So at did the end I. Of that. So did I. And wouldn't that have been a great moment for Daniel Craig to kind of get like a send off? Yes. Like he would have gotten a standing ovation. And well, what was the like, point? Like in what was the thought process? And again, I have nothing against Tony Hawk and yeah. is it Kelly Slater and, um, and Sean Kelly White. Sean White. Yeah. yeah. Um, I found that to be so weird. Like it, was like, like it was forced. But also like what we also started to understand throughout the weeks of promotion leading up to the Oscars was that they were really trying to hit a younger demo, right? Yeah. They yeah. Were, Which they did. They were, apparently, and, apparently uh, the, like ratings on yeah. that demo in particular were up 70%. So yeah, and they, oh. and they were bringing in like really like, like big influencers. They had influencers like on the carpets. They had, you know, the TikTok elements. I mean, I get what, what was going on. And, and to be honest with you, I don't mind if younger viewers want to tune in and learn about movies, right? You sure. know, it's kind of a cool thing um, because then it like takes away, the, it brings it more popular as aspect to it. Um, on a positive note, I love loved Billie Eilish and Phineas's uh, uh, live performance of No Time to Die. I thought Beyonce's opening was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. The choreography on that tennis court was unbelievable. That was fantastic. Um, and then I think, you know, it's interesting because it's almost as if like there are things like a movie review. There are things I loved about the show. And then there were things I just thought were like really disastrous in terms of like choices. Mm -hmm. um, also, Kevin, like, haven't the, you learned anything about the Internet? Uh, You're not allowed to to feel right in middle the middle. You've got to yeah. pick a side, man. Yeah, but also like there was I feel like there could have been some more care put into some of these bits, like even the Pulp Fiction one, which I love seeing all three of them up there together. It was awkward kind of in terms of timing, in terms of like the, the, the dialogue that was happening. Um, but overall, I mean, I just found the show like the awkwardness of what Jake's referring to these these eight categories that were done in the, like prior to the show starting. The one thing that bothered me and I couldn't tell and this threw me off and I don't know if this is just me overlooking or overthinking it was it felt jarring. It almost felt like they were showing the footage on a screen and then cutting to people in the audience who were watching that screen. But then it, when it was recorded, there were already people in the audience anyways. That's exactly so what they were doing. Yeah, it was weird. Like it just threw me off. Like like was uh, Will Smith reacting to a video that happened an hour ago or was that Will Smith already in the building watching that moment. I was so confused by that. Well, that was well, also, too, I'm, I'm fairly certain a lot of the people they cut to, like major A-list people, weren't actually in the building by that point. Like Jessica Chastain was. Yeah, yeah, Chastain had to make a point to say, I'm going to skip a lot of interviews to go see uh, my makeup team yeah. win an Oscar. Um, so it was also a reminder of, well, I think they, they tried she to was, maybe. She was a producer on that as well, right? 
I think oh, so. Oh, this is yeah, like a, yeah. a, a, a that's awesome. Very support. big. Yeah, that's deal very for cool. Her. That she yeah. that was very cool that she did that. Um, yeah. And but but I also think that they are maybe for the for those people who are outside the bubble that that we exist in, maybe trying to like hide the fact that like not that many people were inside Dolby Theater whenever these people won their Oscars. And yeah, so let's cut it, to it felt awkward like it felt like they were disconnected which they were there was yeah, it was footage yeah. of people lying it's just a bummer that's what it seemed we like talked we talked you know? about this before before it even happened we did it's a moment for especially those categories it's a moment for people who are not the stars of things who don't get up and aren't in front of everyone to get up in front of and, and the tv aspect is whatever but i imagine for most of them it's more important to be in front of all of their peers sure. and have yeah. everyone in the industry looking at them and getting to and getting to say thank you to them for recognizing them and getting to say whatever they feel we we complained about this before it ever happened but that disconnect is the is the heart of the problem where it's like now you're just you're just producing a show and you're not actually you're not actually celebrating and honoring the craft. Conspiracy theory question. Um, Hans Zimmer, Hans Zimmer, one for score, right? Mm-hmm. Clearly he wasn't there. Yeah. No. Like, we all knew he was going to win, I think. Uh, do you think that that category was put in that section of the broadcast because they knew Zimmer couldn't be there? I don't know that because they knew Why that else ahead. do you put score out of the show, but cinematography in the show? Like, which, why is one more important than the other? Do you think they looked at it like that somehow? I have no... I mean, who Zimmer's knows? a big name. People know who Hans Zimmer is. He's a big name. I don't know. He's why couldn't than, he be there? Uh, what was Greg he doing? Greg Fraser. You know, why couldn't and shout to... I don't know. He was shooting something, but Greg Fraser, you know, won cinematography for Dune. Dune won, I believe, the most Oscars. Won six Oscars. Yeah, um, Dune. Dune you know won I mean? so many Oscars. I, I can't comprehend why... How Dune wins all those Oscars. And I know this happens before. It's happened before in the past. Like, how do you win production design, <laughs> Mad score, Max. cinematography, uh, editing, oh, editing, it won editing. editing and it can't get best picture and its director didn't even get nominated. And then I, I have to just say this before we can go on to congratulate Coda. I don't understand how the power of the dog can win best director and nothing else. Like, do you how? know the last time that happened? No. Graduate. 60. Yeah, graduate. Yeah. Was Mike it Nichols really? won, right? Mm-hmm. For director. And then. Wow. It's wrong then, too, because I don't understand it. I don't understand how you can be named the best director. And with all due respect to Jane Campion, uh, your movie should win something else. If it's also if it's honestly best director. One thing I want to point out, shout out to J- Jake for this. because I, I watched part of the episode last week and, and, and it's a really fascinating thing, which is kind of really weird about the Oscars. And I don't know if, that I necessarily love this, but it's all about timing. <laughs> It yeah. really is. And of like, and like, like, like prior to two, three weeks ago, Power of the Dog was hands down front runner, best picture, best director. Mm-hmm. And then like Jake was saying, like, like Coda hit weirdly. And it doesn't make any sense because Coda came out in August 2021 or whatever it was. Well, it it's was at somehow <laughs> right. It's somehow right. It somehow hit this uh, or it came out on Apple in August. Uh, and then, yeah, right. Sundance. But yeah. it somehow hit this weird stride. Right in the middle of voting, yep. literally right in the middle of voting. Yeah. How does it, that happen? It's all it's all about what's popular when. And right. so for this year, it was Coda. And unfortunately, there I'm was a time where we all thought it was Belfast. Yeah, sure. it's a, it's always that. Which I like am that. happy for Kenneth Branagh. Finally, finally, Academy too. Award winner Kenneth Branagh. A right. Good and win real for blend guest Kenneth Branagh. Yes. Two time real blend guest, by the way. Oh, Michael Reyes, I want to just point out, uh, was the one who said for the Bond introduction, Judy Dench was sitting right there. Yeah. Like how, does, how do you not get Judy Dench to come out and introduce the Rami bond? Malik was sitting right there too. Ah, exactly. He introduced yeah. Malik. Introduced 
Javier Bardem was there also. Yes. Did you guys see the film? I asked uh, Gary Oldman yesterday if he was ever um, a... Well, Kevin did too. If um, he was ever approached, because it, because this show that he's in is apparently very anti, it's it's the opposite of Bond. It's like kind of the grungy world of MI5. And I said, were you ever approached at any point uh, for the Bond world? And he said that uh, apparently at one point in his career they went after him to be a Bond villain. But he said it was bef- before he goes. But that was at a point in where like if you were a Bond villain, that was it. They, like that was the end of your career. Like that's the last oh, really? thing you did. He goes that's now. Like he goes now. You look at like Javier Bardem. He goes, oh, I loved Javier Bardem. He goes, yeah. but when they asked me to do it, which I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know they ever asked him to be a Bond. I wonder who. No. I wonder which one. Drexel. He was going to do Drexel in Bond. Drexel. It's got to be one of the Brosnan ones, I would assume, at that point. All right, let's get to an ad break. Um, pay for the show a little bit, and we'll see you on the other side. And congrats, Dakota. Congrats, Dakota. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And we are back. So for our next segment, we want to get into the new Marvel show that's reaching Disney Plus, Oscar Isaac, starring in Moon Knight. And to do this, we have brought on a very special guest. Uh, Law Sharma is a senior content producer uh, on Cinema Blend. Hi, Law. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here with podcasting royalty. Real Blend. That's right. I feel like he's confused. I'm a big Law fan, by the way. I think Law's confused as to what show he's on. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, this isn't. This isn't Go Mark Maron, dude. <laughs> as you can tell from Law's sh- uh, shirt, if you're watching us on the YouTube, and uh, why wouldn't you be a Moon Knight fanatic? And that's exactly why we tapped him to lead our new Moon Knight analysis video. Hey, and of course, I have questions with the new episode dropping on Disney Plus. So we're only going to focus on the first episode, even though a few of us have been able to to go ahead and watch up to episode number four, Humble Brag. Uh, we're only going to talk about episode one and we won't get into any spoilers beyond that. So also, if you haven't seen episode one, jump forward to the next segment of the show. So, um, Law, why don't you kick off just right off the bat and just give us your uh, take on the first episode and the series in general. And then we'll sort of open the floor to the guys who can ask you questions and see if you can help us make hide nor ha- uh, heads or tails, hide nor hair. I don't know. Some sort of analogy like that to... Uh, Mark versus Steven and the duality of the Moon Knight character. 
Absolutely. I mean, just to kick it off, I am a Marvel fanboy first and foremost, so I was very, very excited to see Moon Knight being adapted into live action. He's just one of those characters that I think comic readers didn't expect to see come to live action in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. And to have him played by Oscar freaking Isaac is just a joy to watch. I think episode one does an amazing job at just setting the tone for the rest of the series. We know it's going to be kind of this play on duality and all these different personalities that... Stephen Grant, our hero, is uh, experiencing for the first time. Um, and I think it also does a good job at tempering expectations of, about, you know, how much we might even see this guy powered up. If it's mm. less of a story about the superhero version of Moon Knight and more of a story of Stephen Grant kind of coming to terms with this ability and these different personalities that he has living inside of him. And I just absolutely adored episode one. I think Oscar Isaac carries the show even beyond episode one. It's it, he is still the strongest and best part of the show, no matter what. And Ethan Hawke is amazing. I can't believe that we're seeing them both in the MCU, which is pretty it's, it's pretty incredible. They're both really great. They, they give chilling performances when they need to. But I personally, my per big takeaway is how much I fell in love with Stephen Grant as a character. Because, you know, we're, as comic readers, you're used to seeing him as this billionaire playboy actor. But in this series, he's this, you know, kind of timid Englishman who works at a, uh, a museum really into Egyptology. Um, and you just have you just fall in love with him because he's so charming and he's so kind of goofy and naive. Um, and he's really our eyes of the series. But. You know, with the way that they cut between the different, I guess, action set pieces or lack of action set pieces, which is something I love. They diverted a lot of the action in this um, just to show you that he's maybe an unreliable narrator. What's real? What's not? Is he just dreaming? I think that's perfect because it perfectly captures kind of the mind bending tone of the comics and, and the character before it. Um, I cannot wait for people to see episode two, three, and four just because it does escalate. But this was a perfect tone setter, I think, in my opinion. I don't know what you guys thought of this uh, episode one so far, but that's that's definitely my 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 short review without without gushing too much about the character. I'm curious about you guys in particular because you have both sort of veered away from the Marvel TV shows or have not been that impressed by what we've been getting lately so where do you both stand on on moon i will start with you yeah so i was pleasantly surprised and very happy with what i watched on the first mm. episode um i have not been a huge massive fan of the mcu television series i mean besides loki and the first three episodes of wandavision i just really haven't been connecting with it as much um in terms of i just felt like there's too much exposition the scripts aren't as great it feels like lesser budgeted mcu films that being said, with Moon Knight, I was blown away by this. Um, I first of all, I knew nothing about the character, which is why I'm glad that Law's on because I have a lot of questions. Um, now, I don't know when this character was created, so I'm going to give a comparison as to how I felt watching this. Um, Lee Winnell's upgrade came to mind a lot oh, when yeah. I watched this. Good call. Um, where you basically lose control over your body or you give permission to your body to take over um, like the character does. It was almost like an upgrade meets Venom with the voice mm -hmm. um, that I was hearing in his head um, outside of just those comparisons, Oscar just 
crushes it like he completely leads the series uh, leads the episode brilliantly there's an emotional undertone to it i love the chaotic nature of it um and how off the rails it feels like Ed, law used a great word with diverting the action where you have this incredible sequence where he's driving this truck um and every time an action piece happens. We go into this like weird mode for a second. And then you realize what he just did, which I thought was a really cool concept. Again, I had not read the comics, so this is purely my first uh, um, watching or knowing of this character aside from the promotion for it. Uh, and I also like the camera work in the show a lot. Um, one of the th cool things about the episode is that as the episode's going off the rails, the camera seems to be going off the rails as well. There's a there's an off the shoulder sense to the camera work that I really appreciated that kind of put me into it and immersed me into the moment. Um, I also think his British accent's great. I know people have been like commenting on it. I don't I don't find it problematic at all. Also, oh, I think it's terrific. The there's even a joke. Bad? Well, I've heard people online like just bring up like a British accent or whatever. I, I actually think. Again, it's Twitter. It's ridiculous. Sure, you read one or two tweets and you think that's what everyone's thinking. Um, but at the end of the day, there's a great moment, even for people who might be criticizing the accent, where the character on a cell phone says to him, what's up with this accent kind of thing? Almost like, I don't know yeah. if that was pointing out that he has doing a British accent, but uh, and either way, he's phenomenal in the performance. It's a it's a seamless uh, accent. It's a seamless performance. Um, and I just found it to be incredibly awesome. I was so pleased with the ending. It's so badass how the first episode ends i'm just all in on the costume i love the the artwork and everything so i don't awesome know this is my this is my favorite episode of any marvel series so far with loki's finale being right behind it wow. that's that's high, that's high praise yeah. high praise as they say jakey are you on that same level um no i liked it here, <laughs> here's what i appreciate about it though is that i feel like we are now at a point in Marvel where we and it's 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 our fault, our as fans, that everything has to be connected. Like every every mm. everything basically has to be an elongated six episode teaser for the fact that they're going to be doing something else down the line. And this they've been very open about the fact that this is in the MCU, but very much its own thing. I mean, mm. I remember when we were you know, watching WandaVision or watching Loki, or there are all, all of these like big fan theories about, well, this character is going to show up and this actor is going to show up and this actor is secretly in it. And Dr. Strange is going to swoop in and it's going to be a teaser for Dr. Strange multiverse of madness. And, and then when these things don't happen, you can't help but feel, even though it's our fault because we put those, those thoughts into motion. Then when we end up being upset that these mythical things we came up with didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to just be able to watch this thing and just go, it's its own yeah. thing. And yeah. maybe down the line, we might see Oscar Isaac share the screen with someone else. Mm -hmm. But for now, can we just appreciate it for what it is? And, and that, I feel like, has taken a massive weight off of, of, of expectations when it comes to being able to just enjoy this for what it is. I, I felt myself just easy watching it and looking forward to next week and not being concerned about having to get online and see that, you know, oh my God, there, there, there's a theory that, yeah, what that, character you know, that, was that? this person's yeah. going to show up yeah. and, 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 and the fish is Mephisto and all the likes, just like, <laughs> can we just, can we just enjoy this show for what it is? And, well, and to, that, uh, to that end, it's almost not that spoilery driven, right? Like exactly. Which is, which is nice that I can maybe get on the internet 
at six o'clock in the morning, the day right. after premieres and not have the entire thing ruined for me. Like, right. I, like people, I wake up at four o'clock in the morning to go to work. I don't have time to, to, to wake up and watch it before you all start po- posting screen grabs. Can we collectively as a society not no. post the last image of the no? no. Well, yeah, Jim, well, Jake brings a good point. Cause like I, I, <laughs> I was on Twitter during the day today and I didn't watch the episode yeah. until a little bit ago. I actually just watched it before this recording and I knew nothing about it going in. Now, yeah, I don't yeah. know. But to Jake's point, though, there's really no like massive like at the beginning or whatever, the end, yeah. there's some reveal that strange shows yeah. up or whatever yeah. it's going to be. Because right. um, if, if there had that, you would have seen that image. That image would right. have been everywhere. Right. Well, and and I, Kevin, I'm just fascinated by it. That's really all you were him. saying that you don't really know the character all that well. But I think that's going to be the majority of the audience. Like sure. he's not he's not, you know, Batman or Superman or Spider-Man or some such recognizable, which allows them, I think, to make a lot of changes to his uh, comic book narrative yeah. and, and really just fit what they want to fit. I mean, at some uh, point, though, wasn't that story. wasn't that Iron Man? Wasn't that Black Panther? Like these characters? I mean, granted, like now well, they are so front of conscious sure. in terms of us as a society. But. You know, go go a couple of years prior to 2008 and go up to a person on the street and say, can, what can you tell me about Loki. Iron Man or well, Black Panther Loki. or Loki? Well, yeah, Thanos. Yeah. Uh, almost you like know? Doctor Strange or the Guardians yeah. you could place into that, sure. into that category as well. I mean, uh, so Law, I do have a question, a couple questions for you because I don't know anything about this. So sure. one, you said something in your in, in your review just now that fascinated me. So in the comics, is the character uh, a, a, you said he's billionaire, playboy, rich? Why is that? Does that switch make people angry who are fans of this? <laughs> oh, comic? that's a good question. I I hope that fans like the change because you know it. Moon Knight's history is kind of turbulent. Like there, there were they did a lot of false starts. I would say different runs had different kind of origins for the character, how brutal he was in nature. But at its at its core, you're always following Mark Spector, and Mark Spector's always been a mercenary. But inside of him, he okay. has these split personalities. He has DID, which uh, he has Jake Lockley, who is a cab driver. Um, they there's uh, Stephen Grant, who yeah is like an actor. He's a millionaire. He's a playboy. He also is very Bruce Wayne in that sense. I think that's where people draw cons- uh, comparisons between the characters because he likes flies a moon copter. You know what I mean? <laughs> he has a bunch of money. He he funds the gadgets. But what I like about the show is that for me. Um, I'm I'm excited alongside people who don't know the character because I'm getting like a brand new kind of origin story where mm. he's less of like that Batman vigilante style thing and he's more supernatural and he's mm-hmm. powered by you know Conchu from from what we can we can tell so far it's less of like about his gadgets and his fighting ability and he's more of just a supernatural being which I think fits better but yeah like to your to your question uh, Stephen Grant is not this like weak-minded guy who's kind of timid with a British accent. He's mm-hmm. he's gen- he's generally pretty well put together. He's he's got a beautiful girlfriend named Marlene who follows him around, you know what I mean? So he he's a personality that I don't know if this Stephen Grant will develop into that. That would be a really interesting journey um to to see if that happens, but as of right now I love that the our protagonist isn't Mark but instead it's Stephen Grant. I think that's a lot more interesting for me. Also, it's really important. And real quick, Gabe, real fast, um, just just to that point, which I find fascinating. What's smart about the first episode is 
it's not like one of the things I, one of the problems I have with the earlier MCU shows is that I felt like they were too exposition heavy. They were too explanatory. They were trying to recover things that we already knew for audiences that might not have watched the MCU films. What I love about this first episode is it, it, it treats the audience in a very smart way. We are also him the whole episode. We are mm-hmm. just as confused. Like when he gets on the phone and calls that girl about the date that he's supposed to be on at the steak place. Like we are also questioning what day of the week it is, where he is, what happened. Um, and I think there's something really smart in filmmaking and storytelling when you can put yourself, the audience into the leader, the character's shoes, and then we're okay feeling that confusion. And I, the last time I felt something like that was probably everything everywhere all at once. Where like you you feel this chaotic nature of the story and then it kind of comes together in a way that, that, that pleases you as an audience member. And I think that's really just good storytelling when you mm-hmm. can do it without being explanatory or exposition heavy. And I think I want to give it credit for that, because I as, as a new viewer, as somebody who doesn't know the character, I was like fully in, but learning, but not didn't feel like I was being explained to. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. I think they do handle that really well in the series yeah. so far, because I'm learning a lot about the backstory, but it's not necessarily being shown each right. time. Yeah. Gabe, I'm sorry, you were, you were, I cut you off. Oh, you, I, well, I, I do want to hear from Sean because I don't think Sean's given his general impression of it. But I wanted to say to the point about changing the um, the character of Steven, I think it was really smart in the sense of like, yes, it's very close to it makes him really close to a Bruce Wayne. But also mm. the MCU had a Bruce Wayne with <laughs> Iron Man. And mm. so, like, mm. I could see where it's it's not as interesting for for Oscar Isaac to come in and be like, I'm going to play another billionaire billionaire playboy philanthropist you know like it gives them a different thing to do and given that they took the perspective of put us in steven's shoes so that we as the audience are learning as he's learning which is is a great and and, an awesome way for us to sort of become connected with the character and then see the story develop having him be much more uh relatable and down to earth and a much you know smaller sort of character within the world that the mcu is set in i think is is smart and I appreciate it versus like, okay, let's see another rich guy who for whatever Agreed. reason is also a superhero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like the um, vulnerability. It's yeah. more, it's more relatable. But yeah. Sean, yeah. What did you think? Well, I, it, it works largely because of how good Oscar Isaac is. I mean, he's just it's amazing, incredibly good. Um, and he's incredibly good at, you'll get to see this a little bit more as some of the episodes keep playing out, switching back and forth between the different personalities. Uh, he does it seamlessly. And the way that they have come up with the in episode one, the, the way that they have come up with the way to have the reflections uh, be the, the personality and, and show like you see Mark talking to Stephen and it's Oscar Isaac having a conversation with Oscar <laughs> Isaac. And it's very clearly defined who is who. And mm. I think that that's a really fascinating aspect for them to be able to explore. And, and all I keep getting excited about while I think I want to see how this storyline plays out over six episodes is using this character in other MCU like it's not all connected right now, but the ability to use Oscar Isaac uh, and the Moon Knight character in other places, I think, is really, really fascinating. Um, Grant Curtis was uh, the producer of the show, was talking to Law in his interviews and was saying, like, this is a step towards the more darker, uh, edgier type MCU. And he he mentioned uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. He mentioned Blade coming up uh, and yeah. the use of Moon Knight. These are the type of sort of stories that I think the MCU can veer towards. And they can also keep telling, you know, Spider-Man stories and cosmic Captain Marvel stories and Guardian stories. Like it's it's amazing the amount of stuff that's available to the MCU uh, right now. Um, I'm also just riveted by uh, Ethan Hawke and Oscar Isaac being able to just go toe to toe in scenes. I think that the two of them are fantastic. It seems like um, in the future, every actor is either going to be in the MCU or Oppenheimer. 
uh, and some yeah. will be in both, maybe. Uh, who's to say? But having Ethan Hawke around as an antagonist is terrific. And I did love the design of the suit. I think all of that's fantastic. And uh, yeah, I'm really interested to see where this goes. So um, great, great start. Uh, I, I've been on board with all these shows uh, more mm. so than you guys have been. So yeah. to me, it works as well as all the other ones. Better than better than like Falcon and the Winter Soldier or something like that. And I just think Worst Oscar Isaac's terrific. That, that one is the was worst the worst one. one. It really unfortunately. was. Yeah, I think it might. I think that's COVID related. You know, I just think yeah. that, that thing suffered from in the middle of their shoot. They got waylaid and they might have they probably could have tried to do something else different. But even that, like Mackie, you know, is supposed to get a Captain America movie at some point. There's so many projects that are uh, on the horizon. And who's yeah. to say uh, where Moon Knight's going to go from here? So, uh, Law, why don't you let people know where where they can find you on social media and then tell them about your reaction series? Absolutely. So uh, you can find me and everywhere on social media, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram at Law J Sharma, spelled like it sounds uh, and easy to find me. And you can catch our Moon Knight analysis series that's coming out week to week as the episodes drop. That's going to be on the Cinema Blend YouTube. Uh, we're just breaking down episodes, talking a little bit about what happened and what it could mean for the future of the series and the MCU. Uh, I'm really excited. Uh, it's really cool to be able to talk about Moon Knight in a, on a on a big platform like this. So I definitely appreciate you guys bringing me onto the show to just kind of fanboy out a little bit with y'all. Anytime, Anytime man. Yeah, that was, a, that was a hell of a pitch, man. That was a hell of an elevator pitch. <laughs> Great plug, too. Great plug. I love plugging more Cinema Blend stuff. Way to go, Cinema Law. Blend? Well, oh, yeah. Let me just oh, go Oh, because we don't do that enough on turn this on show. Turn on your notifications. <laughs> <laughs> yes, turn on. Smash that like button. Yeah. Hit the <laughs> notification bell. And I'll see you guys God, whenever, on whenever I was page. watching all of Sean's game when he was doing Game of Thrones. Oh. I, I, I used to hear hit subscribe, turn on, turn on your notifications like in my nightmares. Like it just it like haunted me. I couldn't escape. Turn on your notifications. All right, when you're back editing, with the, it's the bell. It's the bell ding, sound. Ding, that you absolutely. Yeah. Um, Law, thank you so much for joining us. We will continue the show shortly with uh, This Week in Movies. All right. This week in movies, we have coming to Netflix, uh, a new Richard Linklater animated feature called Apollo 10 and a half space age adventure. While you're on Netflix, you can also check out, excuse me, the new Judd Apatow film called The Bubble. Kev, did you see The Bubble or no? I kind of like The Bubble. It's a it's a it's a it's very meta um, Tropic Thunder esque. It's not like phenomenal, but Mm -hmm. it's it's worth a watch if you like filmmaking. It's a it's a it's about movie making. Okay, Uh, I want to recommend The Contractor, which is coming to limited theatrical and home video. It is starring and produced by Chris Pine, uh, who is a veteran uh, who is um, being ignored by the by the government, essentially losing his benefits and agrees to take on work as a private contractor uh, working for. Um, Kiefer Sutherland and it's 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 a drama with some military aspects to it and it's much better than I thought it was going to be so give it a look if you like Chris Pine and if you kind of like those sort of Amazon Prime-esque uh, spy type thriller dramas definitely worth checking out but we want to get it's, some... it's Chris Fine it's Chris Fine yeah it's Chris Fine okay. <laughs> it's Chris just Fine. curious yeah. uh, we want to get to Morbius which is the wide release this week and then afterwards we're going to play Jared Leto blend to get everybody excited for this. Um, I'm going to go first because I might be the only one who feels this way, but I liked Morbius. I actually thought it was um, very fun. Yes, Kev, good, excellent. Um, I did too. I liked it. I liked it more than for, for people keep asking like on what scale in terms of the Spider-Man spinoffs. I like it more than the first Venom, which to me, oh, Kev, you love the first Venom. I like it more than the first Venom. I didn't like it as much as Let There Be Carnage. So it falls right in between those. They're not great movies but this one more than the venom movies at least knew i knew i think it knew what it needed to be 
It's it's a horror movie. It's a good vampire story. Uh, it doesn't have that many ties to the comics, um, and it just lets Jared Leto sort of create his own new character. He and Matt Smith are good off of each other. It has some of the cheesy sort of felt like it was made in the early 2000s elements to it. Um, and with comic book movies being as good as they are right now, like, do I tell you go see Morbius instead of the Batman? No, you know, you're going to get much more out of Matt Reeves's film. But going into this one with kind of mild expectations and especially with the number of delays that it went through, I thought it was much better than it was going to be. I thought the effects were good. Um, I liked the the powers that Morbius had. I thought they're really unique and original in the way that the director, Daniel Espinosa, uh, showed them, uh, like sort of conveyed them was really, really convincing. And I kind of want to see where the story goes from here. Kev, what did you like about it? Uh, I mean, again, it, uh, I liked the first Venom a lot. Yeah. This is right in the middle, and I didn't particularly like Carnage. Um, but in the sense of, like, I knew nothing about this character, kind of going back to, like, what we were saying about Moon Knight. Um, uh, Moon Knight's much better. But this is a this is a really solid action film, superhero film. I thought the effects were awesome. Um, some of the effects in this film were incredible, especially the these like the these uh, what would you call that when he jumps They're from like one chemtrails? I think I called them like like the color ones, the color. Yeah, trends. it was They're cool. Awesome. Like every time he would be flying around, whatever color of outfit he was wearing, it would like it would like go off of him like in this trail. It was really cool. Yeah. Um, Spinoza calls it like psychedelia. He wanted to lean okay. into psychedelia to sort of show it. I dug it. I thought it was cool. I, I like the horror element of it, too. There is a scene in this film that's one of my favorite scenes I've seen in a while. And it's it takes place in a long hallway um, with a nurse. And it's mm. really or a doctor. It's really, really intense and well shot in the depth of field and the, the lighting. Um, Leto, I thought, was really solid. Um, I, you know, there I think there's some editing choices. I think you could have, like switch the beginning a bit. Um, I won't go into too much details, but I thought Matt Smith was fine. was fun. Uh, mm -hmm. I thought their action fight scenes were really fun to watch. Um, this is not a phenomenal film, but I was entertained and I thought Leto was solid. I thought he carried the film and I found myself entertained by it. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be based on just like the delays, like you said, and kind of the trailers weren't as intriguing to me. Um, but there's these really cool effects they do where Jared will be in a scene with his normal face or his his, 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 his character, Michael Morbius. And they'll have these flashes of the of the vampire that hit real quick. And it's really well done. I, I was mm -hmm. like super impressed by the visual effects. To me, that's what sold it to me. And I'm, not, I'm more of a practical effects guy, but they did a really good job of incorporating it into this world and making it feel fun and scary and real. And I just kind of wish it was R rated because they could have done so much more with it. I think. Sure. But, yeah. Yeah. But I still thought with the PG 13, it delivered it's pretty the, brutal, the yeah. sort of horror stuff that they needed to get from it. Jake, you did not care for this as much. It sucks. No, I just I, I just thought it was unfathomably boring. Um, I just really? thought, yeah, I, I felt like, you know, Sean nailed this. It, it honestly feels like it came out like 20 years ago. It feels like it feels like this. It. it would it would have come out around the time of like Affleck's Daredevil or something like that. It just I, mm -hmm. I which is also great. I thought it was unbelievably boring. No, I, it's I, not. I just I was never like invested in any of the characters like the detectives that were chasing him around. Like every, That's a bad subplot. That's every, a bad subplot. Every all the characters just felt unbelievably two dimensional. It was like watching a bunch of like cut out paper people like shuffle around with, you know, colorful trails behind them. And, You're missing um, the, the great 
greatest uh, <laughs> one word review <laughs> that you gave this when you came out of it. And we asked you how it was and you said Snorbius. <laughs> I don't think it was boring at no, all. I totally disagree. I was I, yeah, unbelievable. I, I'm with you. Honestly, what was it like 88 minutes, 89 minutes? And I honestly like at least however it is, I because I, I, I clearly didn't like Venom 1 and, and liked Venom 2 only by comparison. Um, at least those are like so just unbelievably batshit crazy that I'm like, okay, this isn't good, but like I'm distracted. But it's like, you know, cinematically sure, someone's sure. snapping in front of my eyes for 90 minutes. It kind of keep me looking all over this. I like, <laughs> I needed those, those, uh, clockwork orange things on my oh eyes God, to keep them open because are, it was just unbelievable. Like just. I, I don't oh, get and, that. And, and, don't and just like and then Leto terrible. like being in character on set, and I was like, well, well in character, how? Like, what well, would you he like? Is, he's weird in that way. Like, yeah, just well, hold on, don't use the word weird. He's talented and brilliant, and cares okay. about his job. Immersive, yes, he is immersive in his job. So let's. I, uh, I, I, I think the I think the whole method acting thing is BS. No, it's not. Daniel Day Lewis does it. People, people take that stuff seriously. I, I, I get I, they I, take it seriously, but I, I think the whole like I demand large groups of people to treat me a particular. I just I find it very pretentious. Wasn't Benedict Cumberbatch? Didn't they just call him his character's name the whole time when they were shooting Power I of the just, Dog? I just think that that's I, I, I think it's huh? just douchey. I don't know. It's it's a process. It's a process. Wow. I do. I do. I and that's a, that sounds like that is a conversation for another time. But I think I think just. And and you know demanding that that the kid that works at craft save it uh, craft services demanding it's just a it's just this process you know Daniel Day Lewis required to be called Mr President on the set of Lincoln I know I think that's douchey (laughs) sure you'll win an Oscar but like yay I guess good for you doesn't bother me let's get to uh, let's leave a little bit of section for Morbius where we can discuss spoilers and the way that it connects to the spider-man universe at large if you are still listening to this and haven't seen morbius and don't want to hear this skip ahead to our blend game gabe will make sure to note it in the notes down below um so it's essentially just the post-credit sequence found it yeah, really did interesting they cut out like did they cut out a lot of michael keaton because there's stuff in the trailer that's not in so what happened was <clears throat> they had keaton stuff that was in the trailer and it more showed like him in a either prison or hospital it was hard yeah. to tell the way that it was lit um, and he would have encountered Morbius in some other different scenario. So instead, these were reshoots. And when Keaton appeared at an event somewhat recently, a couple of months ago, he was like, oh, I'm going to go shoot Morbius stuff uh, tomorrow. Actually, it was on a talk show. And he's like, I got to go shoot Morbius stuff tomorrow. And they were like, oh, really? You're still shooting that? Well, it turns out it was reshoots. Like everything from in the final uh, end credits is reshoots, because now this movie's coming out after No Way Home. It was supposed to come out way before. Which is oh. why they factor in the ripple in the sky and the transition between the different universes. And so in a way that makes no sense to much of yeah. anything. I, was, I don't understand. So like so they're now saying that the the tear from No Way Home works both ways. Yes. That in the in the back and forth of Venom going from his universe into the MCU very briefly. And not really interacting with anybody, but leaving a piece of the symbiote behind um, and then getting sent back to his own universe. Somehow in that back and forth, Michael Keaton's character got sent from the MCU to the Sony-verse. Gabe, you had a question. <laughs> well, I wanted to back up just in case there's anybody who didn't see it. They just want to hear what happened. You oh, guys sure. haven't explained okay. the scene. So if you could quickly just 
explain what happens for anyone who maybe is so listening it, but didn't didn't watch. It comes in on Michael Keaton's uh, Adrian Toomes and he's in prison. And very similar to the way that Tom Hardy's character is in a hotel room and then that hotel room changes. Uh, and then he suddenly sees Spider-Man on the TV. Adrian Toomes is in a prison cell and then the prison cell changes and he's in a different room. And now it's hmm. a room that's in the Venom Morbius world. And the prison people there don't recognize him because he shouldn't be there. He, he got transported back into that world. So they let him loose on a technicality because he didn't commit any crimes that they can prove. So now he's free. And then in the <laughs> next scene, which makes no sense whatsoever, Morbius is driving through the desert uh, and he's been <laughs> summoned to meet uh, Adrian Toomes, who shows up in his vulture suit. Uh, and he's got the whole mechanized uh, costume and he lands and he essentially says, hey, uh, I'm in this world for some reason. I don't know why I'm here, but I think it has something to do with Spider-Man. Uh, maybe you can help me team up and figure out like what the problem is. And then Morbius, who should have no problems with Spider-Man whatsoever, is like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Like, let's go get that kid. And now they're teasing the Sinister Six from happening. But it doesn't make a lot, <laughs> doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but it sounds cool. I think we it's still a good don't idea. know which Spider-Man they are referencing. Correct. Or if it's one we've ever seen before. Well, here's a theory I heard today. Because some people initially were like, well, he needed a whole team of people to build his <laughs> vulture suit uh, in Homecoming. Well, how would he build a suit with no with nothing available? Uh, thing with Bob. So then some people said, no, maybe he stole the vulture suit that was teased at the end of. Andrew Garfield's Amazing Spider-Man 2, because there was a vulture suit waiting in Oscorp. Oh, I don't remember that. And if Michael hurts. Keaton grabbed that one, then it's a lot of mental gymnastics. To Andrew Garfield, out a guy who's never even been in this universe, would be like, I got to go yeah. figure out where my suit is at this, go at this organization it. that's not in my universe. Oscorp. Right. Yes. But I think ultimately, according to Daniel Espinosa, this world has a Spider-Man. He said sooner or later, we're going to find out who it is. And I bet you it's going to be Andrew Garfield. And then Andrew Garfield is going to be the Spider-Man in the world that has Venom and a Vulture and Morbius and soon Craven the Hunter and eventually Madam Web but and like, whoever Sidney Sweeney is playing. Uh, obviously, Keaton's Vulture is, is a straight up villain. But my issue with these like Sony movies is that they're taking the best Spider-Man villains. Right. And kind of making the these anti-heroes needle veering toward hero. Correct. So Venom, uh, Morbius, I'm assuming the same Craven the Hunter, they're going to have to completely revamp these characters based on how what we've seen from them so far in order to make a truly good Sinister Six, because otherwise it's going to be a group of people that are like, meh, six. Right. Yeah, but most villains don't start off like that. Like, like, okay, like well, we're two, we're two Venom movies in no. so far, and that is not a villain at all. No, I know, but I mean, like, we've seen this arc before, where like someone starts like like the whole point of Spider-Man: No Way Home, at least with the major villains like Doc Ock and 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 Green Goblin, were that they were brilliant scientists that 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 fell into this, which was the beauty of the cathartic nature of that ending, was that they they got to. They got to be sent back and not, you know, whatever, whatever that, you know, Tom Holland's character Spider-Man was doing. But at the end of the day, I do think that 
like they do they do have the ability to change and 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 go down that path um it's just it's but, just but a, all it's of a them good are going to need some yeah all but the thing is yeah. every if if you're taking a group of people who so far you've established for the most part are not villains you're going to have to convince me that something happens to all of them I'd to be, make them truly terrible people i'd be totally yeah. cool with venom for some reason they seem to be pointing at that venom not Tom Hardy's character, not Eddie Brock, but Venom has something with Spider-Man, and I, that, that needs to be explained. But I'm totally down with Eddie Brock having to fight with Venom because the, he doesn't know why they're, they need to be against Spider-Man, and for Venom mm-hmm. and Spider-Man to like somehow end up teamed up together, I think that's cool. I think I mean, Eddie Venom is a rapper now. <laughs> that's that's the film. That's the direction we're taking. I'm saying, I, I, I think I think they're giving themselves the opportunity. Venom. I think maybe we're trying to pigeonhole this of like these vino- these these villains need to be villains. Right. And I don't know where everyone else is going to go, but I kind of like the idea of it being a little murky and maybe it's more of them end up working with Spider-Man than we think. You know what? Uh, Thanos didn't think he was a villain. Thanos, well, no villain right thing. Thanos villain. is also That's... an extremely layered villain. There are people who would and again, He's I'm not big saying there's going to be lots of layers. Well, no, they don't, I don't think people agree that he should wipe out half the planet. But I think there were people who understood his plan, like yeah. what he yeah. was trying to do from an Again, environmental not, perspective. He's not the best but, villain in the MCU. I've said this, but he, he is an interesting. He's what? pretty amazing. He's no, pretty he's great. No, he's not. Killmonger oh, is We've had this too. conversation. Another. We've had this conversation. Why not just best. snap and double the planets, double the resources? <sighs> Uh, exactly you, uh, that's because it breaks it breaks <laughs> come on man it's, it's no you're right i'm 100 right let's no, transition to our Killmonger's game the best, but let's move this on. week um, uh which is jared little blend hashtag jared little blend and uh jakey why don't you start us off and tell us your favorite performance or film by the great jared leto uh i'm gonna pick and it's actually it's interesting he told me the other day this is the last time he's ever watched one of his films on the big screen in a theater um, his performance in Requiem for a Dream. Mm. Uh, the journey that that guy to all of them take, but but pointing him out is unbelievable. Mm. Like where we meet him is not necessarily in a great place, but it's a point in his life that could have gone in a lot of different directions. Um, and I 100% buy this horrifying... Kevin, you 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 talk about films that and and i don't often like to do this but you talk about films that aren't horror films that could be horror films um this is one where i and i work and i and i fought you out but this is one where i'd go yeah that's one of those like like it requiem for you know if 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 the 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 villain of the film is drugs like it just what it just annihilates these people's mm. lives and where all of them end up where he ends up that that image i'll never forget that image of his arm um that's horrifying to watch and 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 that moment when he and i'm i'm speaking loosely for anyone who's never seen it because i actually came across some a bunch of people the other day in in my newsroom who've never seen it um when he wakes up and realizes what's happened it's one of the most unbelievably heartbreaking things uh i i think i've seen in a movie Mm. it's it's um and he sells it it just absolutely he he makes an incredible journey as an actor uh, over the course of 120 minutes and um, just phenomenal. Kev, did you go Requiem also? Yeah, I also went Requiem. Oh, I I'm mean, sorry. I, I didn't mean to. I, I, no, I, no, I, no, I, I, conversation. I thought he would. I don't, dude, Jake, it was, it was great. Um, yeah, I, I have a very, very uh, vivid memory of seeing that for the first time. And I told did you, you see guys it in theaters. Story. Yeah. And I, and did I, you I, really? I have a great picture of Jared Leto and I, or he's holding my Requiem ticket 
Um, wow. And so that particular incident, it, well, that was, I think I was 16 or 15, because I wasn't 17 yet, obviously, and it was rated R. Um, and that's the story I've told you guys before, where I would go up and I would like, I would say, oh, I forgot my college ID. Yeah. So they would think that I'm over age. Um, and so and not only did that work to get an R-rated ticket, it also gave me a student discount, even though technically I was <laughs> a high school student. Um, but I remember sitting in a theater. First of all, like Jared aside, just from a uh, score standpoint, Clint Mansell um, and uh, just the camera work in yeah. that film is brilliant. Wow. The greatest filmmaker of all time. Thank you very much. <laughs> But Jared is so what's fascinating about Requiem for a Dream is that there's so much style in it, like Mm. editing and score and camera work that you could easily lose the importance of character in a in in an environment like that because it's so insane and chaotic. Um, But his performance is is the anchor. It's the vulnerability of the story it's 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 this kid that you don't want to see fall down kid like is this. a perfect word that's what also right. makes it more tragic like they're like he's a kid yeah. mm-hmm. and then his mom in front of the tv ellen burston who should have won an oscar for that performance um and just everybody marlon waynes uh and jennifer Connolly. but there's there he's the heart he's the anchor of it and that love story between him and Connolly, uh and then just the devastation of that arc that's a real that's a performance that is literally covering all aspects of someone's emotional journey, essentially in their lives um, in, in a very the short four of them should of have gotten a SAG nomination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a brilliant ensemble. film. It's an absolute masterpiece. Um, I think it's the best film that Aronofsky's ever made. Um, and I think it's the best performance of Jared's career. And I think that is just truly like that is that is a raw, immersive, brutal and just like to me, and the movie's very inappropriate, so they couldn't do this. But I always argue that this is the film they should have showed to people, the uh, kids, to not do drugs. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and you can't do that because it's such a disturbing film, and it's there's a lot of horrible but that's content. The in point. It. But yeah. That's the point. kind of the point. <laughs> that is the, in my opinion, the most effective anti-drug yeah. commercial I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. So I can't pick it as favorite because I can't bring myself to watch it again. Like I saw it, I saw it once. I've seen it a bunch. I love that movie, but and it's, I it's feel hard like to I want to, but yeah, it's just a tough. I feel like I really need to. I got to pull it off the shelf. So I'm gonna pick. Um, I'm gonna pick something which is unusual uh, for this reason because I I really hate what he did, um, which is Suicide Squad and and also Zack Snyder's Justice League. Like his Joker, I don't I don't like at all. Um, but the reason why I'm picking it is because I at least give him a ton of credit for trying something different. Like he is he is committed to the bit that he wants to do in that in that role. And it I is really Joker. hard to take over a, a character like the Joker and make him stand out and make him be uh, original and different and unlike anything you've ever seen before. And his choices, every single one of his choices, which I disagree with, <laughs> almost every single one of them are at least committed to uh, creating something that's totally different and unlike anything we've ever seen before. And so looking over his filmography, I had to be like, that is the performance of his that uh, that I point to for being as committed to uh, creating an original character, because even the comparison to what he was in Suicide Squad. And this is part of the reason why I really want to see David Ayer's cut, uh, which has, apparently has a lot more footage and more context is so completely different than when he returned and played him for Snyder in the Justice League. Mm-hmm. 
the, like that arc is kind of crazy where you're just like that. How is that the same guy kind of thing? Mm. So I'm blown away by what he brought to that character, even though it didn't connect with me and I didn't like his choices. I know there's plenty of people who love it. And Kev is one of them. Kev likes his Joker. I loved his Joker. I, I yeah. actually don't hate his Joker, to be honest with you. Awesome. I, I feel like it's, it's become popular to hate his Joker. I don't hate the choices he made. It's a. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think the movie is. I think the movie that his right. Joker's in is bad. Right. That right. that the third theatrical act. cut is terrible. Like the. I actually like the first act. To be honest with you, I think the first act is solid. It's that it, movie. It, it's a series of introductions to yeah. the characters. <laughs> it is constantly introducing it's, the characters. Whatever. Yeah. Didn't I read somewhere that like the people they had cut the tra- those really popular trailers? Oh. They brought them in to cut to edit the film yeah, and the it. film is edited like a trailer yes it is. <laughs> like a bunch of uh, like a bunch of two and a half minute trailers cut together <laughs> yes the really trailers is. were amazing those God, great those trailers. trailers oh but the best of them all was the one that came out at the comic-con Mm-hmm. that was i think more representative of what the air cut would be it's like Absolutely. a three and a half minute trailer or something yeah. like that yeah. yeah sooner or later we're gonna see airs cut i just think it's it, it's inevitably the way that snyder's cut of got a chance to come out on some streaming server well hbo max i would assume uh if he says that there's an assemblage of it i see it coming together so so i went with his joker would you, you know would you take a instead of them producing a cut which they spent millions of dollars right on Zack snyder's cut they had to spend an additional yeah uh, I good think chunk so. of finish the effects yeah of course yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 would you take a X anniversary special edition of suicide squad and the special features have all of the unused footage in oh, whatever so state that it's in don't get a cut just the footage we just get to see what's there and everyone will misuse that everyone will say oh it should have been like even though it's a lot of it maybe he wouldn't have included in his cut like maybe it's okay. not a cut but it's I'd like oh that. yeah here are all the quote-unquote deleted scenes the way that we would get like you know a deleted scene of the hulk and it has all the vfx undone okay. and i would take that sure i was just i would like take to that. i think someday if we ever just get that i would just be dying to know what was there and i don't need Again, I think a lot of people would take it the wrong way and say this is exactly what we would get. Yeah. But I think knowing what was there to pull from, it would be interesting just to see the kind of material, because especially with Joker. Then, someone would take that material and try to cut it together into a feature. They try to make something. Right. Into yeah. a the best idea I ever heard was that, well, because the, the third act of that movie is atrocious. Um, yeah. Dancing and everything. Um, they should. Uh, and this is not my, my idea. I don't know who said this, so I don't, I don't know who to give proper credit to. But how cool would it have been if, like, if when they went into that, like, they were trying to save Viola Davis's character, they were mm-hmm. trying to save Batman, right? And then, and then, and then, and then they they save Batman, and then they go down and they fight Joker, all yeah. together, and that would have been so awesome. Like, I don't, how do you not? I mean, uh, again, that's someone else's idea that I heard in passing, right? right. But what, I mean, it's better than anything else they did in that film. It is. How cool yeah, would that true. have been? That'd have been awesome. I would have loved to have seen it. All right, audience picks: yeah. John Palmer. Uh, went with Requiem for a Dream. Harry Lichtman, Harry Lichtman uh, said Blade Runner 2049. Oh, yeah. Cy Voss picked Joker uh, from Zack Snyder's Justice League. Anthony Falsetto went with Lord of War. Oh, great yeah. movie. Man, that poster with the bullets made up his face. Do you remember that poster with Nick really Cage? I had it hanging in my college Jake, you're, dorm. You're muted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh, it uh, feels like more like his Cage's movie, though. Yeah, yeah, but he's cool. But he's, he's a great good performance. At yeah, he's good. Yeah. At it. It's like and, uh, one of the few times, probably the last time he ever played like a guy. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> yeah. like yeah, I agree yeah. what you're saying. Like he, it, it wasn't like crazy over the and top. And he was still was like just, a coke yeah. fiend in that movie. Right. <laughs> but right, he was right. still like just kind of a guy. Yeah. And uh, Victor and Zoeb 
and many, many more went with Dallas Buyers Club, which is the the role that yeah. got him his uh, Oscar win. He won the Oscar. Oscar win, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oscar win. Uh, thanks everybody for playing along for next week. <laughs> you uh, can play using the hashtag Michael Bay Blend, oh. uh, or you can let us know your pick via uh. email. At, that's that's uh, tough because I've been on a I've been on a bay kick the past ten days or so uh, and you've been in man. the marina as they say. Oh, in the bay, Lord, yeah, there's marina in the bay. So last <laughs> night I was watching The Rock. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I watched it too. Halfway through it, yeah, it's so God, good. it's so good. It's, it's so, so good. I, know, I saw really something is. the other day where someone said that I, I never actually thought about this, and maybe this is my ignorance because like I didn't grow up on Connery um, in these films, but like basically people were saying that he's just playing Bond in that in that role, yeah, which I thought I was kind of an interesting. I never thought of it like that, but because there is a Bond aspect to kind of what he's I doing. Mean, it's, and it's kind of fun to think that like that's what his bond would have been like grown up as an yeah. old man. That's kind yeah. of I, th- I saw that the other day. I was like, that's actually a really interesting. That's, that's, dude, the movie. Rock is such a gorgeously shot a great movie. film. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, I know that um, Michael Bay never never met a, a sunset he didn't like. But right. the way that he uses it around that island oh, is yeah. gorgeous. It's fantastic. All it's right, an amazing next, film. Our next premium episode is going to be the two film challenge. Uh, again, you can get access to this and all episodes of Real Blend Premium at cinemablend.com backslash Real Blend Premium. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. And in the meantime, uh, follow the guys at Jake's Takes. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Right. <laughs> follow us online. Jake's t- at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach, and at Real Blend. Until next week. Hockey Bats. Ambulance. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Oppenheimer. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.